invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 1. We're looking at verses 19 through 28 this morning. We're still in chapter 1, but we have made it through the prologue, the first 18 verses, and this morning uh, we get into uh, the body of this Gospel, where John begins with the testimony of John the Baptist. Uh, So let's hear the word of the Lord. From John chapter 1, verses 19 through 28. This is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, They had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. If you can think back to 2008, you may be able to remember President Obama's presidential campaign slogan. Change. Change. Change we can believe in. And you may also remember the accompanying slogan that was often chanted along with it, yes we can, yes we can. We are all used to hearing promises like that, aren't we? We're all accustomed to people heralding the dawn of a new age and promising lasting change. We hear it all the time. And the trouble with that, though, is that these people do not have the power to deliver what they promise. And the result is, I think, a growing cynicism and lack of any trust in anyone who heralds a new dawn. Real change. But today, I I want us to see That with the coming of Jesus into this world, a whole new era of a completely different order has indeed dawned. In other words, Jesus brings about real change. And he has the power to deliver what is promised. That's, that's the big idea for today. And if you take 
one thing away from our time together. This is the big idea, that in the coming of Jesus, a new era has dawned of a completely different order. And John the Baptist is sent as a herald of the dawn of this new age. Now, to appreciate what this new age entails, we're going to have to stick it out together and work through the rest of John's gospel together. But John, here at the start of this gospel, heralds the dawn of this new age. For the past several weeks, we've, we've been camping out in the prologue, the first 18 verses of the gospel of John, where John the Apostle introduces us to Jesus as the Word. And in verses 1 through 5, we saw that Jesus is the, the Lord of creation and, we might say, the Lord of life. And as, again, as we'll see as we work through the Gospel of John together, life in John's Gospel refers to the life of eternity, the life of God breaking into this world. So in the prologue, we, we saw that as, as we come to know Jesus, we can know where we've come from. For all things were made through him. And we can know where we're going. He came that we might have true, abundant, eternal life. And then in verses 6 through 13, this word, Jesus, was the true light coming into the world so that you and I can be adopted into God's family so that we can receive the right to be called children of God. So not only, not only purpose, where, where I come from and where I'm going, but, but also belonging. And then in verses 14 through 18, the word became flesh and dwelled among us. And John and others saw his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. He has made him known. So this word, who is God himself, the, the Lord of creation, the Lord of life, the one who is able to bring us into the family of God, has declared God once and for all. He has made him known. In other words, John is saying, we can know God because the Son of God has come from the Father and he has made him known. And so think about the prologue as a whole then. We, we discover that, that Jesus offers purpose, life, belonging as a child of God, and certain knowledge. You can know God because the Son of God has come in the flesh. And I don't know about you, but that leaves me saying, okay, tell me more, tell me more, John. And the thing I love about the Gospel of John is that's precisely what he goes on to do. But before we, we look at our passage, just I want to remind you once more of John's purpose statement, which he gives us later on in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. John has written these things down so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and believing have life in his name. And so this entire gospel was written to persuade you that Jesus really is who he says he is. And having set up the gospel the way that he does in verses 1 through 18, in verse 19, John now introduces us to the testimony of John the Baptist. And we've got two Johns at this point. We've got John the Apostle, the author of the gospel, now telling us about the testimony of John the Baptist, who, who was sent and serves to underscore and highlight in the brightest color possible the identity and significance of Jesus. That is what John the Baptist does by his testimony. He makes known the identity and significance of Jesus. And so for today and, and next Sunday, Lord willing, we're, we're going to look at John the Baptist's testimony. Think about those things. The identity and the significance of Christ. And, and this week, I want us to look, just here are three handles for our text. I want us to think about the man, the voice, and the one. The man, the voice, and the one. <clears throat> and so John, John is the man who alerts us to the dawn of a new era, a new age. From verses 19 through 21, you can, you can see that John the Baptist caused quite a stir in his day. People are sent by the Pharisees out from Jerusalem to go to John the Baptist and inquire, who, who are you? Now, I think it's really easy, and I'm, I'm sure I've been guilty of this myself. It's really easy to just kind of pass over John the Baptist and to not really reckon with the significant figure that he really is, really was. He, he comes at the close of the Old Testament age, at the dawn of a new age, and, and Jesus says... Of this great prophet, you know, of those born among women, okay, and just to be clear, that's everybody, right? Those born among women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. Not even, not even Abraham, not even Moses or David or Solomon or the great prophets like Isaiah, like Matthew and Mark say of John the Baptist that people from all over Jerusalem and Judea and the whole surrounding region were going out to see him, going out to listen to him. Remember, he was, he was dressed like Elijah the prophet, wearing camel hair with a leather belt, and he only ate locusts and honey. I don't, I don't know, but maybe that's a good balance of Carbs and protein. I don't know. You, somebody who knows better than me can tell me later. But <clears throat> I think it's safe to say, had there been you know, news channels and social media in uh, John's day, he, he would have been on the nightly news just about every day. He would have made international news. It, he would have been all over social media. He was somebody that people would have been trying to get a selfie with, right? There was, a, there was a buzz around John the Baptist. The Jewish historian, Josephus, not a Christian at all, okay? Josephus 
wrote about John the Baptist. So he was a massive presence. And, and by his ministry of baptizing and his public denial of the titles which the religious leaders wanted to ascribe to him, John helps us to zone in on this new age that Jesus ushers in. Look at the question that's put to him first of all. Are you the Christ? I, I love the way John answers that question. There's no, there's no hesitation. There's, there's, there's no attempt for him to name drop or say, you know, no, I'm not that guy, but, you know, we're pretty close. There's no attempt here for him to build his own platform or to exalt his own ministry. Without qualification, John simply says, I am not the Christ. I'm not him. Now, the Christ is, you know, literally God's anointed one. The Messiah that the people were longing for. And you remember in the Old Testament, there were, there were three public figures who were, who were anointed for their office. Prophets, priests, and kings. God's people anticipated a, a single figure who would fulfill these offices in his person, right? God's, God's prophet who would, who would authoritatively speak God's final word to his people. A priest who would, who would offer sacrifice once and for all. A king who would rule with authority. This is what the Old Testament pointed toward. And John is crystal clear, though. I, I, I'm not that guy. It's not me. So who are you then? Are you Elijah? Now, Elijah was uh, that great Old Testament prophet who was, who was raised up by the Lord to summon God's people to turn back to God. And, and although John is later described as fulfilling the, the role of Elijah, it's pretty clear that some people actually thought he was Elijah risen from the dead. And, and John is very clear, that, that's not me. And then they ask him, are you the prophet? And I, I say it that way, the prophet, with the emphasis on the definite article, because this is, this is taking us back to the book of Deuteronomy. The prophet like Moses, who was promised. Remember Moses in his prophetic ministry, somebody who mediated between God and the people and who was used by the Lord to rescue and redeem his people. Are you one like that? No, no, that's, that's not me. Now we got to pause, I think, and, and just ask this question. What is going on here in John's gospel? If you ask me, it can seem like a pretty strange way to get things going after your introduction. You, you might expect John to begin a different way. After saying, you know, the word became flesh, and then, you know, now in a little town in, in Bethlehem. Or you, you might expect John to just immediately go to one of Jesus' signs, one of his great miracles. But instead, 
to the Gospel of John starts with this peculiar man in the desert. And he does so, again, to underscore, to highlight the identity and the significance of Jesus and the new age that is dawning in his coming. Now, John the Baptist's testimony is a bit like, you know, front page headlines in a newspaper. Maybe this is a bad illustration because I doubt very many of you read newspapers anymore, though I know some of you do. But I wonder if you, I wonder if you knew this, that since its, since its founding in 1851, the New York Times has only ever used 96-point font on its front page four times. Four times. And, and the headlines are, let's see if I can remember them, Man Walks on the Moon, Nixon Resigns, uh, U.S. Attacked on you know, 9-11, and uh, Obama right, in, in 2008. But I want to I suggest that, that, that John's testimony to Jesus, it's, it's not even 96-point font. I mean, this is... 192 point font. You can't get font big enough. John is saying, look at this. Look who is here. Get a load of this. But, but John's testimony not, not only highlights the, the identity of Jesus, something we will think about more in weeks to come, it, it also helps us understand his, his unparalleled significance. The one John points to is nothing less than the culmination of all Old Testament prophecy. I know the people are mistaking John as the Christ or you know, the, promised, the promised anointed one or the prophet who definitively and finally speaks for God. This is, this is the realm, this is the sphere in which we are operating, to which all the Old Testament points. And I think that's a good reminder that it's not as though in the coming of Jesus that God breaks in out of the blue with no pre-story, with no backstory, with no preparation. There's a whole of Old Testament revelation lining up behind the coming of the Word of God. Equipping us, you see, the Old Testament, what it does is it equips us to see and understand and make sense of his coming. And I hope we'll see that better today. This is the culmination of the whole Old Testament. The word has come. Purpose, life, belonging, certain knowledge, true knowledge of God. And so the man, and then secondly, let's, let's consider the voice. And that, that's how John introduces himself in verse 23 the people asking John you know who are you they, they must have been getting a bit frustrated at this point I know I would have been you know if you ask me who are you and all I tell you is who I'm not that doesn't really clear things up that much does it it still leaves several billion possibilities so the people from Jerusalem finally say well then who are you man Tell us, tell us, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. 
What do you say about yourself? And look at what John says in verse 23. He says, I am the voice, the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, I know some of you maybe when you hear the voice, which you, which you might be thinking of, but you know, John is not an undiscovered musical talent waiting to be found. No, this takes us back to the Old Testament. Takes us back to the passage we read just a few moments ago in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40. And it might be helpful if you turn back there because I, I want us to look at that passage again to understand what's being communicated here. Um, now, here we are in Isaiah 40. We're, we're, we're two-thirds of the way through Isaiah's prophecy when you know, God's people have been under judgment and have been under judgment for some time. And now Isaiah announces hope, proclaims hope. So beginning in verse 1, we read, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity, that is, that is her sin and rebellion against God, is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sin. So here we have the, the promise of, of peace and pardon from God and payment for sin. Now listen to verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. In other words, a processional highway is to be prepared in the wilderness because God himself, the king, is coming. John proclaims nothing less than a divine visitation, does he not? But who is it that comes? It is the Lord. The Lord is coming. Prepare the way. And his coming is for all people, Isaiah says. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. In the ancient world, when a king came, you did this. You, you made a processional highway. And we still, in some ways, do this kind of thing, even, even here in the United States, where we don't even have a, a monarchy of any sort whatsoever. We have something like this with the presidential procession to the Capitol for, for uh, being sworn in. Right? A way is made. But John the Baptist is heralding a far greater king, far more significant leader. He prepared, he was sent by the Lord to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord, for Yahweh. So, so in no uncertain terms, the one John prepares the way for is God himself, and his coming is accompanied by the good news of the proclamation of peace and pardon from God and payment for sin. Now, I think it's, 
I think it's right to say that John's call to prepare is, is not simply a public pronouncement. It, it's also a profoundly personal challenge that, that echoes down for all who hear his testimony. Right, if someone of such importance has indeed come, it calls for a response, doesn't it? It demands recognition, and we see that very clearly in John's ministry. John came proclaiming repentance and, and baptized people, a, a sign of cleansing and, and fresh beginning. The symbolic language of Isaiah, prepare the way, raise up the valleys, flatten out the mountains for the Lord comes. It's, it's a call for acknowledgement for recognition, a call for change. It, it calls for a response because the Lord has come. And, and that's really what I think you'd expect. You know, even if we can bring it down just to the human level for a second, maybe this isn't a helpful analogy, but we'll, we'll give it a try. You know, even, even if you're having someone over to your home, let's say, you know they're coming. What do you do? Well, hopefully you enjoy having people over, but to be honest, sometimes it can be, it can be a bit of a pain, right? You gotta, you gotta clean things up. You gotta move things around. You gotta straighten things out. You gotta prepare. Everything has to be put in its place. Multiply that by infinity. We're talking about God himself coming. This, this is a visitation of an entirely different order and his coming calls for a radical readiness for realignment. And this makes, I think, the heralding of John the Baptist of a, of a new dawn, unlike any politician that you will ever hear in your lifetime. You see, when you stop and think about it, politicians only have power because, well, power has been you know, given to them in some sense. Right? They, they've been elected into office or maybe they've seized power and they're holding on to it. But the reality is there's someone else who could take it from them. Or when they die, their plans and purposes will perish with them. But you see, when God comes and God comes to show his rule, it's different. A new dawn. Make straight the way. Something new is happening that calls for the total realignment of our lives, not, not just some kind of superficial preparation, not just moving around some furniture, sweeping up the floor or whatever, but me saying, God has come. He has come to bring peace and pardon. There is a whole new dawn breaking into this sinful world. Christ the prophet, the priest and king, the one greater than Moses ushers in a whole new era, and I must align my life to acknowledge him. So the man, uh, the voice, and then that takes us lastly to the one. Now, like I said, you know, all of us, I think, are, are used to, maybe even sick of hearing people heralding change, heralding the new dawn. And again, the trouble is that they do not have the power to deliver on their promises. And that creates a kind of growing cynicism 
and doubt about any claim to real change. So I think it's okay. Let's, let's ask the question, okay, what makes this different? How is Jesus any different than all of the people throughout history who have made these kind of promises? You might say, well, I've heard this before. I've heard political leaders try this time and time again, and I'm, I'm not falling for it. Well, have a look at verses 24 through 28. Now they, the ones who were questioning John, were sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then, why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. John is saying to them, the one stands among you. I am the voice crying out, prepare the way because the Lord has come. John the Baptist has been sent to say, this isn't just any other anointed one in the order of King David. This isn't just another prophet in the line of great prophets. This isn't just another Moses. I am not even worthy to touch the strap of his sandals because he really is different and unique. You know, people will promise all sorts of things. It's another election year, isn't it? Presidential candidates are going to be making all kinds of promises and and uh, we're going to hear some new slogans this year. Are, are you ready for it? <laughs> Brace yourself because it's coming. This is, a, this is an entirely different order and an entire, entirely different era. God himself has come. And, and as we go on through the Gospel of John, I hope we'll see, and I, and I hope you will agree with me, this really is different. Water into wine new era the messiah has has come the official son at the point of death healed new age a man 38 years on his pallet unable to walk raised up new life new era a man born blind lazarus raised new era jesus himself raised from the dead never to die again new Creation, new age, has dawned. You see, friends, there is in fact a new age, a new creation, and, and you and I can be a part of it as we look to the one of whom John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And so as, as, we, um, as we close this morning, I, I want to just say two things to two different Two different groups of people who, who I hope are here today. Um, first, first of all, I, I sincerely hope that there are people with us who are not Christians. I, I mean, I, I hope there are people here today who have yet to put their trust in Christ Jesus. And I say that because if that's you, I think you're in, I think you're in the right place. Because we are here to understand, not what Pastor Jared thinks, who cares what I think. We, we are here 
to look at the eyewitness testimony about Jesus. We're, we're here to work through the Gospel of John with our Bibles open, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, so we can, so we can get it straight from the source, from the beloved disciple, from an apostle of Christ Jesus, from an eyewitness of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And so if you're uncertain about him, about Jesus, I, I hope, I, I really hope you will stick it out with us and continue to study the gospel of John to see what the Bible says about the real Jesus. The, the second thing I want to say is I recognize a lot of us here this morning are committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of us have, have been so for many, many years. And I hope, I hope that we see in a renewed way that the arrival of Jesus truly does introduce something that is massively significant. Nothing less than a new age. And, and it demands a, a complete realignment of my life. Right? Jesus, Jesus cannot be a mere accessory to your life. Right? It, it, it's not as though I can, I, can, I can say, well, you know, yeah, of course I'm a Christian. I, I go to church. I do some Christian things. But, but then somebody asks me, so, what, but what difference does Jesus really make to your, your daily life? And, well, don't ask me that. <laughs> because nothing, really. I, I just kind of tack Jesus on as an accessory. No, 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 no. Jesus is far, far too important for us to treat him that way. This is, this is headline news. The biggest font imaginable. The Lord has come. Bringing with him peace and pardon and new creation. And it demands nothing less than the total realignment of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we, uh, we thank you for sending John the Baptist to make straight the way of the Lord. And we pray that you would enable us to see clearly what you have been doing for thousands of years, and we pray that you would help us to personally welcome the Lord Jesus Christ and recognize that he is the promised prophet, priest, and king. And we pray all of these things in his name. Amen.